You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Um, I remember my first game vividly. I was I was actually in the minors in Albany, and I got a call the night before the game from the general manager of the Devils, Lou Lamorello, telling me that I was being called up and I was playing in Pittsburgh the next night. So I drove my car from Albany to New Jersey, which was about two and a half, three hours, stayed at a hotel. I met Lou in the morning in the lobby. Lou and I took a cab to the airport and it was just him and I and the two pilots, we flew into Pittsburgh on the owner's private jet. So we landed at the airport in Pittsburgh. I took a cab right to at that time, it was the Igloo, the old arena in Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, had pre-game, pre-game skate with the team. You know, I, I tell people that, you know, I can sleep anywhere. I can lay down in the corner of a room and fall asleep. But that was probably the only time in my life or I was never able to take my pre-game nap. I was so wired before <laughs> the game. And uh, played that night in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jagger was in Pittsburgh, and they had a great roster. And I actually ended up scoring in the second period my my first ever shot on net. Wow! And scored on a rebound on Tom Barrasso, and we won the game four nothing. So that was that was something that wow. stands out pretty vivid in my mind. Yeah. Welcome to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Bringing the biggest names in hunting, fishing, and the outdoors together in one place. The BC Outdoors Show, March 24 to 26, 2023 at the Chilliwack Heritage Park in Chilliwack, British Columbia. Fly fishing, fly tying, outdoor gear, lodges, fly shops, rods, boats, RVs, and much more. See you there at the BC Outdoors Show, March 24th to 26 in Chilliwack, BC. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Super stoked you chose to join us this time around. And we're going to do what we always do on the show, and that is seek out passionate people in the fly fishing space uh, and get their story. What brings them to the water? Why do we do what we do? We've got a special show for you tonight. We've got Brendan Morrison on the show. Now, Brendan is a Vancouver Canucks legend. He, uh, He used to play junior hockey in the city that I'm actually doing this show from in Penticton. 
Went to University of Michigan for four years. Uh, draft pick of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, played eight years with the Vancouver Canucks, the Ducks, the Stars, the Caps, the Flames, the Blackhawks. Hope I'm not missing anybody in there, Brendan. He's now the host of Real West Coast Fishing Show, and we're going to talk all things fly fishing. Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Mark. It's going to be fun. Well, I always like to dig into your history. So, you know, BC boy, um, Pitt Meadows, if I'm not mistaken. Walk me through your background, like your fishing story. How did you come to discover fly fishing in particular? You know, that's, that's, uh, that's a great question. <laughs> when I think back to my, my childhood, you know, one of the, one of my first memories of fishing would be with my grandfather, who was, uh, who was from Windsor, Ontario. And he was a huge fisherman. Um, you know, he, he was on Lake St. Clair a lot of time there on the Detroit river. And I remember him kind of, uh, coming out when, when I was a young boy, seven, eight years old. And I remember he took me to the, the trout farm out in Mission, British Columbia. And that's kind of my first fishing memory of going to the farm with him and uh, catching rainbow trout in Mission. And I remember, you know, they would have this, this uh, certain bait you would put on your hook was almost like a little brown putty that you would just kind of squeeze over your hook. And mm-hmm. every single cast you made, you'd hook a fish. And I thought this is the greatest thing ever. I loved it. I had a ton of fun. And, uh, and that, that was really, I, I guess, when you, when you would say I became hooked on it. And um, as, so I fished the odd time as a young kid, and, but I, it wasn't something that I did with my dad all the time. And, and um, the odd time I'd, I'd go with buddies and we'd go spin cast on the Alouette River. And it wasn't until I, I was a teenager and, and in my early 20s that I, that I really got bit by the fishing bug. And, and um, when I was playing junior hockey in Penticton for the Panthers at the time, this would have been 1992, 93. Um, I was, I was being interviewed by some NHL teams for the draft. And one of the scouts for the Chicago Blackhawks um, took me fly fishing in, in Penticton. And that was really my first introductory to fly fishing. So I was 17 years old in Penticton hmm. and we went out, um, we hit a couple uh, hidden lakes kind of South of Penticton got into a few fish and, and again, I was, I fell in love with it immediately. And, and my, my passion for it has just grown since then. Does that, Brennan, the fact that your off season kind of, you know, well, hopefully starts fairly late in the year, but you know, you're looking at say May, June, July, August, some pretty good fishing months. Did, did fly fishing and fishing in general really kind of line up with your work schedule? Well, later in my, in life, absolutely. In my, in my, I guess, first professional career being a hockey player, exactly right. Prime time typically for fishing in in BC was the summer months. And that was essentially the off season for a hockey player. So really, you know, when you talk to hockey players, it's, you know, you know, whether they have a family or, or not, you know, things change over time, but you know, either guys golf or they fish and I enjoyed fishing. So that was what I did in my spare time. And, and um, I ended up getting my first boat when I was you know, back in Vancouver at 25 years old and, and spent a lot of time learning the saltwater practice, but also spent a lot of time trying to learn the, the freshwater game and fly fishing. Hmm. I, I love what you said there about, okay, so um, a scout 
from the Hawks takes you out fly fishing in, in the interior of BC. So what I, what I like to do is kind of walk through um, influences. So if you look back at your fishing journey slash fly fishing history, who would you cite as kind of being a, a mentor, kind of helping you um, kind of learn the ropes? Yeah, well, I think it initially would be my grandfather getting me, get, kind of get, getting me the bug for sure. And then um, it was um, Mr. Deneen there was a scout for the Blackhawks who, who got oh. me out. Oh, yeah. And then Sean took me out there and, and he was a huge passionate fly fisherman. So oh, that yeah. was kind of my my interview, my my draft interview with the Blackhawks was fly fishing with Sean Deneen. So that was kind of cool. But then, um, you know, another big influence for me would be a guy by the name of Walter Corieth, um, who I met through a, a really good childhood friend of mine in uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and we really hit it off. And he was uh, a passionate angler who it was well-versed in fishing, whether it be, um, you know, freshwater fishing, ocean fishing. Uh, Walter was one of the first uh, registered or licensed sturgeon guides in BC. I think he, you know, was one of the first three guides to get a sturgeon guide. So he was just, uh, you know, he still had, fished a lot mm-hmm. and uh, really, you know, kind of took me under his wing and um, showed me, you know, a, a, a bunch of different techniques and, and, and ways to fish. And, um, you know, just really, I guess, kind of taught me how to versatility of fishing. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as you're getting into things, you're trying, trying to learn constantly and soon as you're watching videos and, you know, you hear about guys and obviously big names and, in BC and it starts, you know, Brian Chan and Phil Rowley and, and uh, Kelly Davison, now the sea run flying tackle. Walter actually worked there and built custom rods. So, you know, he introduced me to Kelly. So got out with Kelly a couple of times. So I, those would be the guys kind of early on that kind of would have influence on me for sure. Love it. I, you know, what's making me laugh here is how worlds are colliding. So working in that hunting, fishing, hockey shop in Penticton all that many years ago, it was probably about, I want to say 91, 92, but, uh, Deneen would come into the shop, talk to Brownie and he'd be like, um, Mark, you got to lend me some waiters. I've got so-and-so coming up from the Canucks and we're going fly fishing. And I'm just like, oh man. Yeah. That's, oh, that's hilarious. That's a real, yeah, pen- that's how it starts. Yeah. Well, that was the old hockey school connection too, right? There was, it was a, a real hockey hub still is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a factory there, right? And, that, and that's a beautiful thing about, uh, you know, the sport of fishing is how guys are, are, are so uh, selfless and, and yeah. always are trying to help other guys get out there and enjoy the experience. Has that been your experience? Like, I mean, I've, t- talking with athletes, I find, and I don't know if it's just the Canadian thing, I find hockey players a lot more approachable, a lot more down to earth, usually a lot less ego than, than some other sports. Was that your experience being in the NHL for all that, that many years? Yeah, I, I would say that's, that's a good assessment of it. I mean, uh, a lot of guys have, you know, fairly similar backgrounds and are, are come from good families or are, are very um, humble, you know, team first guys, you know, not, uh, not me, me, me. It's all about the team and team success. And if the team does well, well, then individuals are going to be recognized. So, yeah, um, yeah, that that's kind of uh, the mindset that I've kind of always grown up with or in and, and been around. Yeah, love it. I, I want to get to know you off the water and off the ice. You ready for a few random questions that don't have a heck of a lot to do with fishing? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. So you are driving to your favorite lake. 
let's say it's wherever, interior BC, wherever you're headed. What is playing in the truck on the way there, uh, music-wise? Oh man, that's that's a loaded question. But uh, I've I've you know spending the last twelve years of my life in Calgary, I've I've really morphed into a country music fan. It's uh, you know Luke Bryan, huge fan. Mm-hmm. He's got some great hunting fishing songs. Um, you know, there's there's so many good guys, so many good Canadian artists as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, country music would be right up there. You know, I like the classic rock stuff. You know, growing up, even in in the kind of the hockey atmosphere in the locker room, you know, I, I you know I enjoy rap music. So I'm I'm pretty pretty well versed in a lot of different stuff. But I think if I'm going fishing, I probably got the country music going. Yeah, that's fair. One go to fly pattern, Brendan, that you can't live without. So if you're headed to your favorite river or still, you pick, man. What what is a fly? that you reach for in your fly box more often than not? You know, like, and this has kind of grown on me here maybe the last five or six years, and it's it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense, but it works every single place I've fished is the booby. Like, I mean, you have this fly that looks like nothing in the water, <laughs> and it just it just does something to these fish. It just makes them angry. And it just makes them want to attack it. Like I, yep. every every single place I've fished, I've caught something with when I've tried to throw that booby out there. Do you strip um, it, Brendan? Are you how are you I fishing that? Yeah, typically fast stripping, like usually on a you know a sinking line or an intermediate line, but typically mm-hmm. a sink line, and just uh, you know letting that line sink down and just stripping that thing fast and fish just annihilate it. Like it's uh, yeah. it blows my mind all the time. You, you, I mean, you have this thing, you pull it back in, it's like. It's not even mimicking anything in the water. It's got these huge, like, yeah. buggy eyes and a little tail on it. But uh, I have fun fishing that fly a lot. I mean, there's a lot of other in the box, but, I mean, that's that's one that I find a lot of fun on because the takes are so aggressive. Yeah, yeah, no no doubt. And that is a pattern that, think back think back to when you first started fly fishing. I, I never saw anything like that. Nothing no. close, right? No, and I think the, the kind of the the origin of these boobies was from England. Yeah. And when I, you know, they, they, uh, you know, when the English would come over here to, to, uh, events or world championships, they were, they were winning a lot of these events mm-hmm. and guys couldn't figure out what they were using. And finally they, they, they discovered this fly that, and it's like, it's just kind of taken off over here. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's, uh, there's not many people around. You won't find it in their fly box. Whereas 15 years ago, I, I wouldn't say that could be said. Let's let's talk about your favorite place to talk fishing. So when you're not in your waders or on your boat on on the salt, where do you get your fix when it comes to fishing? Like, is there a is there a fly shop in your neighborhood? Is there a water and hole? Where do you get your fill when you're not on the water? Well, you know, I I, I have relationships with a bunch of different shops. you know, over time, like, you know, if I'm in BC, like early on kind of growing up, my, my go-to place was kind of sea run flying tackle. I, I, when I played in Vancouver, I lived in Coquitlam. It was literally five minutes up the street. I had buddies that worked there. Um, and, uh, it, 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 I could just go down there. And, and like you said, you just talk to guys that are, you know, on the water every single day. Okay. What's happening. These guys have experience. They they're up to date. And, you know, so when I lived in the lower mainland, that was, uh, that was kind of, uh, my, my go-to spot. And then I've been in, in Calgary the last 12 years and, 
you know, fished a little bit on the Bow River and, and kind of the systems there. And, and uh, you know, I, I would spend a lot of time downtown at, um, well, I'm just trying to think of there. That Bow River Trout Fitters would be a spot. I got, again, some buddies that work there. So, yeah. you know, they were always generous with information. But, you know, what I've found is, you know, if you go into fly shops and, you know, if you just – they're they're willing to help you, right? Like they they want to help people. It's not like they're withholding mm-hmm. top secret information. You show an interest, you show a bit of a passion for getting out on the water, and uh, you know guys are I have found pretty helpful and and uh, you know point you in the right direction. Yeah, amen. That's um, I just love the shop, like the fly shop, the, everything about it. You know, whether it's looking at latest patterns, the latest gear, latest rods, um, tying. I get lost in there, man. It's crazy. Well, uh, you can spend hours in these places, right? Like, uh, oh shoot, hours. You, you got that right. Yeah. And time flies so fast, and you start telling stories and what's this yeah. river doing? What's that river doing? And and uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a good place to gain knowledge, right? Like it's uh, and you got customers coming in and out all day and sharing their experiences. So I mean, it, it's a great spot to hang out if you want to learn. Is it possible for you to go into a fly shop and not get recognized in BC? It'd probably be tough, I would imagine. Uh, it's, a, it's a little Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with the crossover of, um, let's call it my first career as, as, a, as a hockey player for the, you know, for the Canucks and growing up in BC and playing for my hometown team and, and, and playing on some teams in the early 2000s that were, you know, exciting teams that had a great following. I mean, very very, very special time to be a part of that organization. And then, you know, kind of morphing and crossing over into uh, life after hockey and, mm-hmm. and getting in, heavily involved in, in fishing. It's funny now, a lot of times when I, you know, I, when you go in and, and you know, you, you kind of see people or a person that's coming up to talk to you, a lot of times your initial reaction is, oh, I, I you know, they're going to talk hockey. But it, it's been amazing how many times I've been caught off guard, like, fishing questions like oh yeah 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 let's go <laughs> so it's kind of neat yeah i love it and i think there's a lot of crossover there right i mean uh yeah well this leads me to my next question and uh you can just you could just say next to this if you want but i i always say you know are you a sports fan i don't need to ask you that question who's your team who do you cheer for so now this could go like 10 different ways with you um and i know i don't yeah. want to leave any of your fans out on the ledge but if you're if you're watching sports who are you pulling for well i mean when i think back to my hockey career and i and i, and I picture myself like i picture myself in a, in a canuck uniform you know growing up in vancouver Love it. playing the majority majority of my career in, in lower mainland and you know playing on some teams that you know had some great you know, regular season success, you know, biggest regret is not having that postseason success. But yeah, I, I think of myself as a Canuck. And um, so I, I keep close tabs on what's happening there um, for sure. Yeah. I think you'd crack the team still. Pro- probably probably top line. Probably top line <laughs> well, right now, the way we're going. Well, I might be able to work the half ball in the power play for 30 seconds because I don't have to skate down the ice, but other than that, I don't think so. <laughs> are, are, are these guys getting faster in your mind? Like when you watch a game now to when you play, do you see a difference? Oh, yeah. Like to me, I, I watch the game now. It, it's, a, it's a track meet out there. It's, uh, hmm. yeah, the pace of the game is incredible. Um, you know, you know, it's funny because I kind of went through a couple of different eras um, in my time over my career, like, 
you know, pre 2004, 2005, when we had that lockout, you know, the NHL was filled with big guys who maybe weren't great skaters, but can clutch and grab and grab and hold you. And it was, it was almost like WrestleMania on the ice. And then rule change came in, in 0405 and it opened the game up to, you know, try and, uh, try and increase the speed and, and, and uh, creativity and the offense and things like that. And, and it's taken a bit of time, but nowadays the game is super entertaining. It's super fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, you have to be able to skate to, uh, to be able to play in NHL. And uh, I find it very entertaining. You know, what really gets me is how little time you have to make a decision. I think it's got to be shorter now than ever. It's it, like, I think back to like when Gretzky was doing his thing and the Oilers were doing their thing and it seemed like there was time and space. And I'm like, you, it basically has to hit your stick and be a deflection for you to touch it. Now it's like so fast. It's it, it, you're right. You're exactly right. Like time and space are, are the two key words. I mean, it's funny, but I, I, I got a 14 year old daughter now who plays hockey and that's still a, a term that I use to these girls is time and space. You want to take away time and space, but just um, the advancement, you know, the analytics of the game has changed so much. Uh, you know, the amount of video that teams watch, you know, how you, how you break games down systems wise, how you play. And that time and space is constantly being shortened for the puck carrier. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it's an interesting thing to go to a hockey game. And, and if, you know, if you watch a game from, you know, high up in the second in, in the bowl or the, the you know near the rafters, and you know, you can kind of see things happening. Oh, why didn't he make this play? Why didn't he make that play? Mm. Go down to the glass and watch that game, and it's a it's a one eighty from what you see up top. And like you said, the speed, uh, the physicality, the time of space, how quickly guys have to make a decision. It, it's mind blowing. Mm. What do you think of this Connor Bedard? You've been watching him come up the ranks. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I've I've heard about him for a while. I mean, a kid that I think yeah. grew up in West Vancouver, and uh, yeah. you know, he's he's dominated from a, a young age, and he's continued to dominate now. I mean, what he's done is uh, has been phenomenal, really. I mean, uh, even watching him at the World Juniors oh, yeah. as a seven as a seventeen year old kid, and and what he did there at that tournament. I mean, it's unprecedented. There, I don't think there's been another seventeen year old that's done what he's done. So um, yeah, he's entertaining. I mean, he's got a Obviously, everybody talks about his his release and his shot, and it's world class already. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be um, it'll be interesting to to follow his path and his career, and and uh, see how his game translates to the next level. But you know, he's a guy who's succeeded at, at every level he's been at. So, I anticipate it's going to continue. I got to say that when you were part of that West Coast Express line with Naslin Bertuzzi yourself. I, I those in my mind and, and when Lynn was around were the glory years as Canucks fans. But when you're looking like up and down the league, like for, for the teams that you played for, this is kind of a weird one, but who, who's that sneaky good hockey player that you played with that you went, maybe they didn't get the recognition, but man, this guy really had it going on. Is there a certain player that comes to mind? You know, I, I've been fortunate to play with a lot of, a lot of good, 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 good players over my time. And to be honest with you, I, I still don't think that Nazi gets the credit he deserves. Yeah, um, amen. You know, I, I, I really don't. I mean, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal hockey player and obviously a great goal scorer, but um, I think his, his playmaking was very underrated. And, um, you know, when, you, when a lot of times when you talk about the best Swedish players of all time, you know, you have, you know, you have Lidstrom, you have Forsberg, 
Mm-hmm. You know, going back, Boya Salming. Salming, yeah. Uh, who, yeah, and then, you know, Matt Sandin, you throw the Sedin brothers in there. But a lot of times I find that Nazi's kind of omitted from that conversation. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, I don't understand why. But, uh, yeah. you know, I still think he's a guy that, that, that deserves a bit more credit. Yeah, I love it. Pretty humble guy, pretty quiet guy, too. It seems like the Canucks had a lot of those back in the day. Hmm. Yeah, love yeah. It. We had... Um, you know, he was you know, obviously the captain of our team uh, during my time in Vancouver and, uh, you know, a, a, not a rah-rah type of leader, but a guy who mm. led by example. And it was very professional, the way he prepared, the way, you know, he came and, and um, you know, and was ready for, to compete every single night. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think he was he was a great mentor. Him and Matthias Olin were, were great, great mentors for the Sedin brothers, like Daniel and Henrik, and they yeah. kind of, took those guys under their wings and obviously Dan and Henrik came in and had phenomenal hall of fame careers. And yeah, that's, that's the kind of way it works. We'll get back to the water in a second. I just want to jump a little bit down the, the, the hockey rabbit hole with you, if you don't mind wearing an a like putting a letter on your Jersey, how much does that change the pressure? Like that must be, I, I always think that that's gotta be a game changer. Like, like some, some guys respond to it and some guys don't like, do you feel more pressure when, when you got that letter? You know, like I was very um, humbled and, and honored to be, to be given the A in Vancouver, but you know, I, I just, I didn't, you know, you just try not to change who you are. Right. It's um, I think initially your thoughts are, Oh man, do I, do I have to be somebody different now? Do I have to be more vocal or do I have to do this? And it's like, no, you know, you got this letter for a reason Just go out and keep being the same person you've been. So be professional you know, mm. if you feel like things need to be said, say them, but don't, don't try to be someone you're not just go out and be, be, be authentic and be who you are. And, and, yeah. and that's who the guys are going to respect. You know what though? Those are good words, no matter what the heck you do for a living. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, fill in the blank for me when I'm not on the water, fly fishing or on the chuck chasing salmon, what are you normally doing? <laughs> Watch, driving my kids to activities. <laughs> I uh, I have four kids, um, yeah. two in university right now, and, and uh, so I get my boys. He's the oldest; he's twenty, and I got a daughter nineteen, a daughter seventeen, and a daughter fourteen. So um, they're all athletic. Uh, my son and my youngest daughter play hockey. My two middle daughters play soccer. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I enjoy watching them play their sports. I like being involved in their life. Yep. And I, I still coach my youngest daughter in her hockey, but um, yeah, I, I get a lot of my wife and I both get a lot of uh, a lot of joy out of uh, you know watching our kids do what they like to do. What's it like being behind the bench for you? Yeah, it's been it's been something I've done for a while. Like even when I played, I I tried to help out as much as possible. Obviously, the travel schedule I couldn't be there all the time. And then when I retired, um, I did coach my son and his buddies and uh, I was in a great situation in, in Calgary there. I, one of my best friends in Calgary is Jeff Sanderson, who I played mm. with in Vancouver, who right. had a boy on the team who's now playing for the Ottawa senators. Um, we had another gentleman, Chris Lindbergh, who played professional hockey and <clears throat> played on the Olympic team and his boy was on the team. So we had, we had a pretty good group of, uh, mm. guys there with hockey experience along with some other dads who volunteered their time. But, uh, you know, it, it's um, it's <laughs> how is it behind the bench? It, it, it's tough at times. Like you, you, 
really can't influence the game at all, right? It's um, <laughs> whereas a player, a at different. least you can go out and kind of do something yeah. about what you see. But as a coach, sometimes yeah. like you're 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 helpless. I mean, you can try and communicate with your team what you want to see and um, yeah. you know what what your expectations are, etc. But a lot of times that message isn't isn't received, especially when you're talking to young kids. <laughs> they have a different agenda. Yeah. But uh, I, I love it. it it's fun. I, you know, I um, my my whole philosophy has always been if I'm if I'm going to be at the rink, I'd rather be uh, helping and uh, trying to uh, um, you know relay my experiences on onto the kids and try to help everybody get better. Yeah, love it. What's the biggest lesson that you have learned? on the water like specifically fly fishing like your journey kind of and what i mean by that brendan is is more like what does it do for you like what does it do for brendan morrison what does it bring into your world yeah, that's a good question um because i do get asked that question at times like what why do you enjoy or why do you love fishing so much and you know, i guess you could you can look at it a couple different ways for me you know, always people always kind of say, "Well, I, I love getting in touch with you know nature and wilderness," and it's it's kind of a disconnect from the real world. I, I kind of look at it; it's actually connecting to the real world and and being immersed in your environment and you know taking in your surroundings. And I, I just I, I love being outside. I I really enjoy it. And then to take it a step further, you know. The, the adrenaline of a fish biting your lure or your fly to me is second to none. It, it's still to this day when I get a bite, it's like electricity through my rod. And every time I'm like a little kid, like just hooting and hollering and getting all fired up. Yeah. And um, it's, it. it's, it's a huge, it's an adrenaline rush. Like it's, it's an emotional high. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't know if this is the right way to approach it or not, but you know, at times I, I look, at fishing it's like it's a competition right <laughs> and, that, and that's good and bad it's it's good and bad it's good because you're competitive and you want to figure out okay everyday fishing or every day on the water is a different day and what happened yesterday or what worked yesterday might not work today so to me it's the challenge of figuring out okay what are these fish feeding on what are the water conditions um you know how am i going to solve this puzzle Right. So that there's that whole other aspect to it where, um, you know, you're enjoying the outdoors and you're getting all that, you know, you can be with your friends, you can kind of be by yourself, but it's that, it's that problem solving. It's that challenge of figuring it out because every day is different. So kind of mm-hmm. a combination of all those factors is really what drives my passion to fish. I heard you say on another podcast, you're out of cell service too. It kind of makes you kind of turn the phone off which i think in in this day and age is not a bad thing you know what absolutely and i think that just helps your connection to the to the real world let's call it or the outdoors you know even more intimate right i mean we all get caught up in in today's world of it's it's we're in we're in the the day and age of everybody wants to know everything right now Mm -hmm. you you know you get notifications on your phone of, of news that's happening you know, um, you know, you text your buddy and he doesn't get back to you within five minutes. Well, what's wrong? What's going on? With you? Is everything okay. <laughs> it's like, like remember the days of just like, you know, yeah. calling your buddy on the dial of telephone and oh, like this is before answering machines. Nobody answered. Oh, I, I got to get on my bike and ride over there. 
Well, Wait. you might not see your buddy for a day or two, right? <laughs> you don't know what he's doing, but you got to put the effort in and, and go do it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just kind of getting away from that a little bit and just uh, immersing yourself in, in I, I, to me, it's almost like a meditation, right? It's mm-hmm. just, it's re, I find it rejuvenating. Yep. As, as much as you find it uh, as an adrenaline rush, I always, I also find it kind of as like a rejuvenation meditation. I like it. Yeah. You, you just gave your age away a little bit when you said rotary phone, because most, <laughs> most of my listeners won't know what the hell a rotary phone is. I had one. <laughs> I, I hated those things. Remember you used to, how many digits you had to dial? It was, oh well, God. The yeah. worst part was if you dialed the wrong digit and you had to hang up and start again. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> it's, that's too funny. Good stuff. So a question I like to ask on the show is best job you ever had which um it's a, probably a loaded question but um i also like to ask worst job and this could be going back to high school <laughs> okay so let's start with the good stuff um talk to me what was the best gig you've had to date oh man well <laughs> it has to be playing hockey in the nhl that's a pretty yeah. good job that's a that's yeah. my dream job but uh, you know before that growing up uh, i had a great job i worked at the pit metals golf course Ah. Um, it, was, it was a great place to work and in grade eight, I started as a club cleaner and then kind of graduated to, uh, driving the tractor at the range. I was a range picker. And then, uh, my grade 11 year going into grade 12, I actually worked on the greens crew. So early mornings, but I was done early in the afternoon and, and that, that was a great job. But, um, <laughs> you know, I also worked at triple tree nursery in Maple Ridge when, uh, when I was, uh, also working at the golf course. And I worked at a, a local drugstore. So the local drugstore of sock in the shells was probably not <laughs> the most glamorous job I ever had. Yeah. You know, at least uh, at, at the golf course, again, I was outside every day, um, you know, a low man on the totem pole, but still enjoying an office outdoors at, at Triple Tree Nursery. I, you know, they trusted me enough to, you know, I, I lugged around a lot of the lime bags and things like that, but I got to drive <laughs> I got to drive the uh, propane forklift every once in a while, so that was a big thrill. But uh, <laughs> I think I think we call so, those line bags dry land training. <laughs> yeah, that's what, exa- that's what I told myself in my mind. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. funny. So let's let's get to real West Coast and what you're up to because I've got to give you kudos. Um, sometimes I steal um, guests from your show. I'll be watching. I, I know we had uh, Curtis on from uh, Northern Lights Lodge because I watched that episode of you um, slaying some beautiful fish in beautiful country. We had Curtis on. I saw the the last show I watched on Check TV, you guys were hanging out with Casey and the gang from Interior Fly Fishing Company mm-hmm. who are close to my heart. I have these guys on the show a fair bit. Uh, kind of working my way through their roster. But, man, did you guys ever have a day on Roche you got to talk about that a little bit because I think a lot of our listeners realize how good chronomid fishing can be early season on some of these interior lakes, but you guys, you got it on camera, which not a lot of people do. <laughs> what was yeah. that like? Trevor was with you on that trip too, if I, uh, to Tarchuk. Yeah, Trevor was there. And then, yeah, uh, Brett and Casey from Interior Fly Fishing. Uh, yeah, so we set this trip up. We started talking about it um, months before and you know, anytime you're trying to target dates, because, you know, a lot of these guide companies, you know, they got to fill their calendar, right? So, but at the same time, they want to try and, you know, highlight a good time for their business. So you're always taking a bit of a risk when you pick your dates. So we, you know, we timed it absolutely perfect. Like uh, Casey and Brett were phenomenal hosts. And uh, we got out onto Roche Lake 
and it was insane. It, it really was like, there was, uh, there was one day we were, we were dangling with coronamids and, and like me by myself in the boat, I, I had to have hooked a hundred fish. Like a, you couldn't even get your second rod in the water. And, <laughs> and like you said, we, we filmed it all. And there's one point in time when my rod gets buried, I pick it up and I'm looking out like the starboard side of the boat and I see my lines under the boat. I'm like, what's going on here? Then all of a sudden you hear this loud, like thumping noise. And I looked behind me and the fish jumped in the boat, <laughs> like literally jumped in the boat. Then I went to go net it and it jumped out of the boat. Like it was a wild day, but we, we fished there for three days and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Roche, I mean, there's so many great spots to fish in the interior and in the caribou and, and, um, we just hit it perfect and, and we all had phenomenal fishing. It was great to see. And, uh, yeah, so much fun. So much fun. Well, those, and those panasque rainbows are so feisty. I was actually really impressed with the average size you guys got. Cause I've had, depending on the year, sometimes it can be bigger, smaller, depending on the year, but those look like, you know, your average fish were pretty nice. Our average size fish was high teens, 20-ish, like pushing two pounds average. Yeah. So we, uh, the big fish were starting to chomp. You know, we, we we got into a couple that were around four or five, which are nice fish. And obviously there's bigger fish in there. But uh, yeah, really nice size average fish. And uh, it was a lot of fun. How much fun is it too to be able to have a group of people in one small area and you're all slaying it you know it's not like this one guy's got it lit up it's like the whole group and like for me that's the holy grail like you you captured it on that show because i think if you haven't seen it go to youtube look up real west coast you'll see it there or watch check tv and and that episode will pop up i just saw it a couple weeks ago and i'm telling you i just i i was giggling because i was just like i know that feeling that is the feeling i try to duplicate replicate every season it doesn't always happen but if you time it right it's like that well you're exactly right it's just it's that contagious energy through the group right because you know the first first day and a half it's like you know, okay, we're going to fish together in a boat and, and everybody kind of get, you know, dialed in here. And then it's like, okay, today everyone's going out in their own boat. So it's like, you know, am I, can I catch fish too? Like the guy beside me. So when we got set up there and we got in that line there, right. oh my God, every time you look down the line, somebody was hooting and hollering, yelling, had a fish on. And then it'd be like, you could count down like three, two, one, and the rod would go off. It was, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was spectacular. Yeah. Good stuff. So tell me about how you came to start the show. Like, I'm, I'm curious, like, I'm sure once your hockey career started winding down, you're going, okay, next, now what? Um, is this when fishing show, is this when the, the, the thought kind of started? I know you had some real estate yeah. going on there. Walk us, yeah, walk us through yeah. kind of your post, post NHL journey, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I played, uh, when I was still playing, I, I hooked up with a group out of North Vancouver called the Strongman Group, and I'm still doing commercial real estate with those guys. So that's still on the go. But um, when I played, I also was a guest on a couple of sports uh, fishing shows, and one of them happened to be BC Outdoors with Mike Mitchell. So I got talking to Mike one day about, you know, fishing shows, and I thought, you know what, that's something that I'd be interested in doing when I'm done playing hockey. I have a, I'm very passionate about fishing. And so he called me one day and said, hey, listen, we want to we want to start up a new show, rebrand it, and, and have you co-host it. And I said, well, Mike, I'm I'm still playing. Like I, I, you know, I could probably co-host a couple episodes, but I can't do a lot. So the first year's sport fishing adventures, we had four different hosts, 
And then we, we cut that down to uh, two hosts, myself and Chris Burns. And we did that for four years. And then I, I had a bit of a thought in my head of, or a direction of how I wanted to do the show. And, and, uh, and this, the vision of sport fishing adventures was a bit different than what I wanted to do. So I ended up branching away and just starting my own show. So that's kind of how real West coast started. And, and we wanted to, to do our show a little bit different than your traditional show where fishing was still obviously going to be, you know, a huge portion of the show or, or, or the premise of the show, but we wanted to kind of capture the, the adventure of fishing and highlight, you know, your surroundings, highlight, you know, some of the culture in the areas you fish, highlight conservation. So we just had a little bit of a different idea of how we wanted to film the show. So that's, that's really um, how it all started. And, uh, you know, now we're, we're gearing up to start filming season seven of Real West Coast. And it's, and it's been great. I, I, I've loved it. Um, you know, the fishing industry, it, it's, a, it's a big industry but it's a, it's a small industry, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, guys really care for each other. I, I find they, you know, just treat people the right way. And that's, that's yeah. always been me from day one. And, and, uh, you know, there's enough uh, business out there for everybody. Just be respectful, um, you know, be humble. You know, I, I'm always trying to learn. Like uh, I do think I would consider myself like a well-versed fisherman in a lot of different techniques, mm-hmm. but every day I hit the water I'm open to learning new stuff. Love it. And um, yeah. and that and that that's how you get better, right? That's how you that's yeah. how you get better and, and improve. So it's uh it's it's been an interesting journey. It's been one that I've had a lot of a lot of fun. Hmm. I've met some phenomenal people along the way, and and I'm looking forward to continuing here for uh, for more years. Yeah, I love it, and I think that that to me, Brendan, is the one. That that's why I love fly fishing in general is you never stop learning. You never know it all. I don't care who you are. You can learn to tie a new pattern. You can learn more entomology. You can learn to cast better. You can learn still water tactics. You can Euro nymph. You can, and like you say, you put people in your wheelhouse who you're out there fishing with, like the guys say from interior fly fishing, when you're hitting that still, these guys got it dialed in, right? So, and then you're out on the chuck and you're with somebody that, you know, some saltwater legend you're going to learn a thing or two. And I, I, uh, I think for me that observation skills and always trying to be better is, is something that fly fishing is really, uh, it's a, it's a big part of it. I agree with you. And, and people ask me a lot of times, like, you know, what's your advice to, to, to somebody first getting into fishing? Well, well, my advice is this, if you have the means to do it, hire a guide at least once when you go out, you will learn so much in a day. It'll cut your learning curve by, by half mm-hmm. and the amount of stuff you can learn in a day from a guide about a fishery in a certain area. Yes, there's a lot to be said about figuring things out yourself, but trust me, even if you get a guide, there's still going to be a ton of things that you're going to figure out on your own and, and, and the process and the journey. Like <clears throat> it's interesting. You talk about, you know, different methods, different flies. Like it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's constantly changing, constantly evolving. And you know, it, it's, um, that's the challenge of it. Right. I mean, every day, and it makes you appreciate those days where, you know, like we, like we had on Roche Lake yeah, yeah. with Brett and Casey. And, you know, even you, you mentioned Curtis earlier, Royer, uh, who's guiding up at, uh, Northern, at Light. Northern Lights yeah. Lodge. I mean, we hit it. I mean, we, we fished for some golden trout up there. I, I, I mean, these, 
big golden trout eating like sedges and and huge mayflies on dries off the surface like attacking these things like great white sharks like blow your <laughs> mind like when i first started talking to curtis about that and, and skied the owner um and and because when you think about that area up in northern you know like kind of the uh, caribou region um you know they're up near likely they're kind of mm -hmm. uh east of williams lake you don't really think about stillwater fishing but they've got some phenomenal still water. And when he started to tell me, Oh yeah, you should see the dry fly still water fishing and <laughs> to go up there and experience it. It just absolutely blew my mind, yeah. like incredible stuff. So it's a, it's an evolution and, and I'm, I'm never going to stop learning and, you know, probably to the day I stop fishing or can't hold a, a rod anymore. I mean, uh, I, I'll be learning right up to that last day. <laughs> I, I want you to paint us a picture, Brendan, of your perfect day fly fishing. So could be the still, could be moving in your words, like who are you hanging out with? Is there something cold to drink at the end of the day? Paint us a little picture of your, your dream day, like the way you would want it to be. Like you probably, I have a feeling you might've had that day. <laughs> well, you know what? Like I'm, I might've had a day. <laughs> I've had a lot of days like that. I've been, I, I'll be honest. I've been very, very fortunate and spoiled uh, hosting real West coast. And going to a lot of these locations that, uh, you know, you can only dream of going to. We, we, I'll just touch on briefly again here. I had a day um, this past summer up at Northern Rockies Lodge at Muncho Lake. And, and Urs, who owns the lodge, is also the bush pilot up there. He's been the bush pilot for the last four years. So he flew us into a lake that hadn't been fished in years. Uh, we took a float plane over... Um, you know, weaving around mountains over a, a glacial field and we land on this lake and it's crystal clear blue water surrounded by huge peaks and, and no one's been there for years. And uh, and there's big, big rainbow, wild rainbow trout in this lake. And, and uh, you know, you don't know, you know, are we going to get fish or how's this day going to play out? And it was just gangbusters of catching these big huge wild rainbow trout in a in a basically you're in a in a you're in a fairy tale you're you're, you're in a, a book that's been painted and, and you're in the middle of this lake and snow-capped mountains and you're catching fish and it's just spectacular but so that was pretty hmm. pretty magical but for me you know i to, to cap a day off like i i, I love sitting around a fire um you know, being right on the water, <clears throat> something rustic, you know, I, I don't even care if I'm just in my sleeping bag, um, you know, a nice clear sky, looking at some stars and, uh, you know, you, you, you're with some good buddies and you're just appreciative of, of the day and you're telling stories and um, you're just, you're just soaking it all in and, and you can't wait to, to get back out and do it again tomorrow. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I know what you mean. There's something about, as long as it's not fire season, but having that campfire when you can, um, there's something special about that. You don't even, you know what, even around the house, I love doing that. It's just something kind of primitive, rustic, as you say, but um, calming about it. It's kind of taking it back to roots, you know? It's just, it, you're right. And uh, we, we spend a lot of, my family has been fortunate to spend a lot of time over on the West Coast of Vancouver Island. And, 
you know, one of my favorite traditions when the kids were young is, you know, getting down to the beach and having that campfire and just, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Like, it's just that, that fire has that hypnotizing kind of mesmerizing flame and it just kind of puts everyone at ease and relaxes and yeah, it's just a good vibe. It's, it's really cool. So what do you got coming up this year? Um, when do you normally start filming? Is that kind of a spring thing for you as soon as ice starts pulling away or what does that look like? Yeah, typically, uh, so we film 10 episodes a year and, and usually, you know, depending on weather, we'll, we'll start filming in April. And again, depending on where we fish, like last year, we finished our season down in Cabo. So we, we did that trip in November. So we try to spread it out so we don't have everything piggybacked on top of each other. Although, with that being said, the go time for, you know, saltwater stuff for us is is primarily in the summer. But, um, yeah, we're looking at some some unique things this year. Like, we've actually been in conversations with uh, with a group out of Chile about heading down to Chile, possibly here in the spring. And then, uh, you know, we're in talks with a couple of different stillwater groups right now about uh, hitting some different lakes and then uh, also working on, you know, filling out kind of the saltwater portion of our schedule. So, um, yeah, we're, we're working through it right now. And, um, you know, we, we have filmed at the same location in the past, but, you know, we, we do try to introduce new areas all the time and try to keep it a little fresh that way. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so we're we're, uh, we're working on that right now. It's, it, it's in progress. Um, Jurassic Lake? <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I know. Hey, oh, yeah. I, I, that's Jurassic, on my bucket yeah. list. Pyramid Lake, Jurassic Lake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. What was it like to get your your name in the the Ring of Fame at uh, SOEC? Yeah, that that was uh, you know a very uh, very very nice honor. I didn't expect it. Got the phone call and, and they told me that they were uh, you know going to do that and. Um, yeah, you know what, just initially just a bunch of memories flood back, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I played one year there, uh, had a great year, had met a lot of good friends. I actually met my wife at that time. I started really? dating my wife. I started, yeah, I started yeah. dating my wife when I came in there and played junior hockey. And then, wow. you know, we, we kind of went to different colleges for four years, but kept the long mm-hmm. distance relationship going. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of fond memories of playing in Penticton and, uh, yeah, I agree. We- Great, really a springboard for my hockey career. Was Paul Correa on your on that team? I missed him. He he left okay. for Maine the year I came in. Yeah. Okay, okay. What was your experience like at University of Michigan? Because it seems to me that, um, well, Fred, now basically this hockey club has a pipeline to some serious schools in the states, and like none I've seen this side of the border in in that level of hockey. It seems to really be a pipeline. Yeah, Penticton is a factory, and they're and they're known for moving guys on from junior hockey to the NCAA hockey in the U.S. Um, Fred's done a great job there, and uh, yeah, it's um, Michigan for me was was a phenomenal experience. You know, I, I got to go to a a great academic institution and play for a team that had to compete for the national championship every single year. Hmm. And we, we had a chance to win it every year from my freshman to my senior year. We ended up winning it my junior year with a team that was probably the weakest out of all four I played on. But, um, hmm. you know, once you get into, uh, 
NCAA playoffs and you get into some a single game elimination, it's uh, it's tough to win it. But we won it my junior year, and um, yeah, had a great great four years at Michigan. Uh, today, my my classmates from Michigan are probably my closest friends. We uh, hmm. we have a group chat that we're on every day. We're chirping each other every day. So um, <laughs> do you know it, what's it's, uh, you know what's yeah. cool about that, Brendan? Is I think okay. So most of my listeners are stateside. Um, just based on sheer numbers, I believe. But I think most Canadians don't realize how intense and how how big a part of life your school is. Like, and I mean your post secondary school, so your college. I mean, we have that up north, but it's not the same. You know, I just look at that fraternity, and it looks. I always think, man, that's cool. You know what? It, it it's you have a tough time explaining to people back in Canada. I mean it it's not even close to being on the same level, the amount of pride that people have down here for the school or, or that they went to and attended. I mean, you know, you talk about like football Saturdays down here in the U S like, you know, the majority of the houses are flying flags of, you know, the school that they went to to show support for their school. Um, the attendance that you get, you know, back at these football games, basketball games, hockey games. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to a Michigan Michigan State football game this year, and you know there's 110,000 people in the stadium, wow. and Michigan is has sold that stadium out for like 300 and I don't know what the number is now, like 380 consecutive games of over 100,000 people. I mean, it's just That's, mind-boggling. That is, it's just like you know, college sports down here are, are essentially like pro sports. I mean, that's how. Yeah. But I think people are even more passionate about it because they feel that attachment of going to that school and they feel that kind of a pride of being associated with that school. Did you get a chance to play any outdoor games with uh, Michigan? I didn't with Michigan. I, I, I did. Um, when I played in Calgary with the flames, I, I uh, played one game there against the Canadians, the heritage classic game yep. in, uh, when was that? 2011, I believe, or 2000, the 2010-2011 season, yeah. Yeah, mm. so played that game at McMahon Stadium. What was the highlight of your career? Like, if you look back and you go, that was as good as it got, or was there anything that kind of pops into your mind, whether it's getting that hat trick or whether it's um, just taking it deep into the playoffs? Or, like, if you look back, like, what, what are you most proud of? So, that's a good question. You know, I... You know, I wish I could tell you it was winning the Stanley Cup, but I didn't. <laughs> so that that's out the window. But, uh, you know, things that you always remember for sure, your first game. Um, I remember my first game vividly. I was I was actually in the minors in Albany, and I got a call the night before the game from the general manager of the Devils, Lou Lamorello, telling me that I was being called up and I was playing in Pittsburgh the next night. So. I drove my car from Albany to New Jersey, which was about two and a half, three hours, stayed at a hotel. I met Lou in the morning in the lobby. Lou and I took a cab to the airport and it was just him and I and the two pilots. We flew into Pittsburgh on the owner's private jet. So we landed at the airport in Pittsburgh. I took a cab right to, at that time, it was the Igloo, the old arena in Pittsburgh. Okay. And had pregame, pre-game skate with the team. You know, I, I tell people that, you know, I can sleep anywhere. I can lay down in the corner of a room and fall asleep. But that was probably the only time in my life or I was never able to take my pregame nap. I was so wired before <laughs> the game. 
and uh, played that night in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jaeger was on Pittsburgh, and they had a great roster. And I actually ended up scoring in the second period, my my first ever shot on net. Wow! And scored on a rebound on Tom Barrasso, and we won the game four nothing. So that was that was something that stands wow. out pretty vivid in my mind. Yeah, that's yeah, but, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was, was pretty cool. Moment. Was that was Brodeur? Brodeur was in yeah. net then, I assume, and yeah. uh, Stevens yeah. and Brodeur and Scotty Stevens and oh, Niedermeyer and. Wow. Bobby Holik, Dave Andrichuk, Doug Gilmore, Lyle Odeline, Randy McKay, yeah. Just uh, stacked. Sakura, Arnott. We had a great team. Yeah, really good veteran team. It was awesome. Huh. So you were drafted in the second round by Jersey. Is that is that accurate? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's and, accurate. And how many years did you stay in New Jersey? So I was there for two and a half years before I was traded to Vancouver. Hmm. Who were you, who were you traded for? Do you remember stuff like that? You must remember that. Oh, yeah, this is another great story. So um, there there had been rumors that I was going to be traded. I actually had a meeting with Lou and, 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 and asked him um, for him to move me, which was probably the most nerve-wracking moment of my life going in and talking to our GM and asking oh, that. He's intimidating. Oh, he's intimidating oh, on TV. He's like the godfather, right? Like yep. uh, it, yep. it, it was uh, not comfortable at all. But anyways, I, I, did, I did that and then, Come trade deadline, there'd been some rumors, but uh, but my brother-in-law is uh, is Daryl Ray, who's the color yeah. commentator for the D- Dallas Stars, and he's right. been down there for 25 years. And Dallas happened to be in New York on the day of the deadline, and uh, it was uh, March 14th of 2000. And I met up with Daryl for lunch, and at that time, I had my my fiance was Aaron and her sister was Kristen, and they were all there. So we we had lunch in New York, and Daryl had to do a radio interview with the station out of Toronto, you know, just asking him his opinion on, on some of the trades that had transpired. And, uh, it was about five to three and, and mm. he was about to hang the phone up and he said, Hey, is, is there anything else come across the wire since we've been talking? He said, hold on, something's coming across right now. So they said, yeah, the Canucks just traded Alex Mogilny to the devils for Brendan Morrison and Dennis <sighs> Peterson. He's like, really? He's like, well, I'm, I'm having lunch with, with Brendan right now. Let him know. So he hangs up the phone. He's like, buddy, I think you just got traded to Vancouver. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, they just told me. It just happened. I'm like, no way. And this was before social media was big and you know, yeah. you'd get things. So um, I ended up going back to my place in New Jersey, my condo. And now it's 4 o'clock Eastern and I still haven't heard anything. And I literally just pull into the driveway and it's the secretary – um, Lou's secretary, Marie Carnival was her name. And she's like, you know, Brendan, uh, Lou, Lou would like to talk to you. So I'm like, oh, I have a pretty good idea what this might be about. <laughs> so, uh, so he, so he called me and he's like, yeah, you know, we made a transaction and, you know, we're sending you home to Vancouver and, and uh, yeah. So that's, that's how I found out I got traded to Vancouver. It was pretty wild. Wow. That's a hell of a story. I, I always feel, I mean, I think as, as, viewers of sports it's different but when it's real right it's your life you got a family you got people it's got to be gut-wrenching to be like okay i'm on a plane tomorrow or it just amazes me how you guys deal with that stuff because it's like it's not like you know joe's driving forklift uh, at uh such and such a place and we're trading him over to uh you know what i mean you usually leave on your own terms like professional sports mm-hmm. is the one thing where it's like mm, yeah guess what you're, you're you're going you're going to such and such you must have been happy though 
I mean, heck, you're going home. You're going. It's not like they traded you to. Uh, I don't. I don't want to name a city, but you know what I mean. It's like you're you're going. You're <laughs> yeah. going somewhere you you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're right. Like, um, it, even when there is some talk or there's some smoke, when it actually happens, it, it's shocking. And um, like I said, I found out about four o'clock. Vancouver wanted me on a plane like at nine to get to there that night because they played Buffalo at home the next day. And I'm like, I, I can't make that flight. Like, I I gotta, you know, your head's racing and. And again, I, I, I was engaged. I wasn't married, but, you know, I was out on her, uh, the first flight out in the, the next morning and, and played in Vancouver the next night. So, wow. you know, your girlfriend or your fiance or your wife has to deal with everything, you know, cleaning everything up and getting stuff ready. And, you know, if you own an apartment or a home, get ready to sell it. And yeah, it's a whirlwind. And, uh, mm. but, you know, as a player, you're focused, you have a job to do, you come to a new team, yep. the new team is great. You walk in the door, it's like you have, you know, 20, 22 new brothers, they all kind of welcome with open arms. So a lot of times you're the transition for the player isn't nearly as difficult as it might be for your, you know, your family and your kids. Yeah. You know, I was at that time I didn't have kids. So it was, it was Mm -hmm. a fairly, you know, easy thing to do, but you know, when you start moving your family around and, you know, at, at one point, you know, my, my kids, they were in school in Vancouver and then they were in school in Anaheim and then they were in school in Virginia. And then the next year they were in school in Calgary. So they went to four wow. different schools in four years, which wow. when I look back now, you know, I, I, I think it was, there was a lot of positives, right? It, mm-hmm. it helped my kids learn how to, you know, meet new people and, and uh, you know, kind of get out of their comfort zone a little bit. So, yeah. I mean, as, as much as you know, it can be construed as negative at times, I mean, there definitely are some positives. I love that comfort zone. Like for me, that's where you grow. The minute you're out of your comfort zone, like we always try to be in our comfort zone. The second you're out of it, it's like, oh, wait a minute. But that's, that is truly, I know I'm, anything I've done that I got out of my comfort zone, it was usually not a bad thing in, in the end. Yeah, you're right. That's where you grow. Like, I mean, if, if, mm-hmm. if you're not uh, uncomfortable at times or you're not trying new things or not learning new things, and you, you'll never get better. Did you make the ice that night against Buffalo, or did you miss it? Oh, yeah. You did? No, I played that night. Yeah. What was uh, that like? Well, I want to know what that was like, you know, putting the skates on, hitting the ice with a bunch of guys. I'm sure you knew some of the guys, but probably it must be a weird feeling, especially for that first mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you're drafted by the Devils. Next thing you know, it's like, oh, I'm a Canuck now. Um, you just got to change your allegiances overnight on a flight. What was that like? Well, it's mixed emotions. It's, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, disappointment that, you know, that you had to move on, but also excitement, you know, you're going to a new team and kind of a new door opens, a new chapter. Uh, You know, you want to get off on the right foot. You want to, you want to make a statement kind of to your old team that, you know, they shouldn't have done, you know, (laughs) you had more to offer and you want to, you know, you want to, you know, get off the right foot with your new teammates and, and, and prove to them that the deal they made was a good thing for the club. So there's, you have a whole range of emotions, but the main thing is, mm-hmm. is just, you just going out there again, like we talked about earlier, just, they brought you in for a reason that, you know, don't try to be somebody you're not be yourself, uh, be professional, be respectful, uh, work hard. And if you do those things, usually good things happen. I'd be wearing that like a badge of honor. I'm going home and I got traded for Alexander McGilney. That's not nothing. <laughs> that's not nothing, right? Yeah. That's like, that's no, that's mean, some weight. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, you know, a, a, a tremendous hockey player and had a, had a great, great career. And uh, 
Like, yeah, I mean, he he had a couple of good years in Vancouver. He scored fifty goals in Vancouver. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, I you know, I I wasn't looking to replace him in that sense as far as score fifty goals, but you know, I felt I had more to offer than what I did in New Jersey. Had mm-hmm. it was ready, I felt to take on a bigger role and all those things. And it was a good time for me uh, to join Vancouver at the stage they were at. They had a good young core of players. A lot of the guys there had been traded, like. Marcus was traded there. Todd mm. was traded there. Yep. Eddie Jolinowski was traded there. A right. lot of these guys were traded there and were, you know, um, they had a bit of a chip on their shoulder, if you will. I always remember my old boss at the, uh, the hunt and fish and hockey shop there, Brownie, he said to me, he was talking to Kevin Deneen and he was saying, who's the fastest guy you ever played against? And I believe he said Alexander McGillney. He said, we would dump it in say the other team dumped it and he's skating back. He looks behind him. He sees McGillney. And then he said, by the time he looked at the puck, McGillney was in front of him. <laughs> just like, that always stuck yeah. with me. There's always those guys with that. Who's the fastest guy that you played with? You can't name yourself. Oh, no. Well, with, that's a good, probably fastest guy I probably ever played with was a guy in, in Washington with, uh, with Jason Chimera. Oh yeah. This guy, oh yeah, man, he could skate. He had wheels, but fastest guy I ever played against would be well, I'm going to say Beret, yeah. Pavel Beret. Oh god. Yeah. Man, yeah. was that guy something crazy. Who's the toughest guy you played with or against? Like who who's who's that one person you're like, "I'm not going in that." Not that you'd say I'm not going in that corner, but it's like, uh-oh. You got to have your head well, on the swivel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a couple guys like as as a as a centerman um, and his career was cut short. I, I didn't enjoy playing against him at all. Was Eric Lindros? Mm. Um, you know, he was a huge man, like six five. You know, two thirty five. Yeah. He played center. You know, he he was mean. He was physical. He was he would hit hard. He was fast. He was he was a tough tough matchup. Hmm. Um, and on the back end, like a guy who's maybe the opposite makeup. Um, as as uh, Lindros up front, but was tough to play against was Nick Lindstrom in Detroit. Ah, like he wasn't a guy who was going to run you through the boards, but his hockey IQ was off the charts. His ability to knock down passes, get in lanes, um, get sticks on pucks, and things like that. Yeah, he was uh, he was not fun to play against. Did you ever wish that part of your career took you somewhere through Michigan, like playing for Detroit? As far as you know, you you went to the University of Michigan. That would have been kind of like a home team too. Yeah, like there's times when you think about those things a little bit, but uh, you know, I think everything kind of happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, I, I, I really, I firmly believed I was going to finish my career in Vancouver. Um, you know, when I was there, my last season there was was oh seven oh eight, and I had two serious injuries. One where I had wrist surgery and I missed three months, and I came back and played. Uh, I think it was seven games, and then I blew out my ACL. Oh. And then that year, our, our team didn't make the playoffs. And they fired our general manager, Dave Milnes, and they brought in a whole new regime. And uh, I, I, I feel, you know, that if I stayed healthy, that it would have really helped our chances of making the playoffs and getting in. And, hmm. you know, I, 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 my goal going into that year was to sign a long-term deal with Vancouver and finish my career there. And then it's you know, how quickly things change. So I go from Vancouver to Anaheim to Washington to Calgary in, in a span of four years. So now all of a sudden your head's kind of just spinning where, 
you know, I, again, I thought it was just going to be in Vancouver forever. Yeah. Yeah. That must've been weird. I got to, to be honest with you, I don't remember you being in Washington. That's like, was George McPhee there or something? Was there some connection? To... Yeah. Yeah. George was the GM there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that was in 2009, 2010. And, and our, our team was phenomenal. We, we won the president's trophy that year. Like we smoked everybody. Hmm. It was a traveling rock show with Ovechkin and right. And uh, Alex Salmon scored 40. We had a couple guys score 30. Like, was and that, then we got upset. Was we that the year? That, sorry, you got upset? Yeah, yeah. By Montreal in round one in game seven. Uh, yeah. Was that yeah. was that the era of the blue jersey with the eagle on it? Or was that the traditional? Mm, no, just... we had we had the, I think we had the traditional ones. Then. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think mm. the blue one was a little bit before us. Yeah. Okay, cool. Love it. Um, so let's get back to the water. So obviously you got the new season coming up on the show of real West coast. If you haven't checked it out, where do we find the show? Like where's the best place, um, you know, social media wise or YouTube or, um, where do we see your, your show at? Yeah. So, so it's broadcast on television on check TV and also on wild TV, but, um, we do have a website, uh, real West coast but uh, yeah, we, we love for people to go onto our YouTube channel and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That really helps us a lot when we get subscriptions. Uh, but we also have a great Instagram account and, uh, and, and we're doing TikToks now as well. So <laughs> we're, we're covering <laughs> all the social media genres. How's the, um, how's the casting arm? You mentioned something about some wrist surgery there. Is there any, <laughs> is there any off ice issues in the latter years of your fishing? That's like, oh man, my knee's a little sore. Like I really can't, uh, I'm not throwing it as well as I'd like today. You know, I, I've been pretty good. I mean, I've had a lot of surgeries, about eight or nine of them. I've had both my ACLs. I've had a shoulder. I've had both wrists, but I, I feel pretty good. My, my mantra is motion is motion. So as long as I'm staying active and busy, I feel pretty good. Now, that being said, if, if I stand still for a long period of time, I get a little bit achy in my hips and that. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if I sit in a boat for a long period of time, my hip gets a little pinchy. But for the most part, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in good shape and I'm ready to rock. Good stuff. What Are you working out a lot? Are you, are you running? Are you jogging? What do you do? What do you do to keep in shape, you know, now? Yeah. I, I still work out pretty consistently. I, I, I still try to work out like five days a week. It's just oh. kind of ingrained in me. I, I just, I feel if I don't do it, I just, I don't feel good mentally. And, and it just kind of, mm-hmm. uh, kind of getting a little bit of a cloud or a fog. So, um, you know, I, I'm not a huge runner. I, I, I wish I was more of a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I had hip surgery back in, uh, in, in, Oh, uh, six. So I just had this mental block that if I run, it's not going to be good for my hip. So I, but you know, I, I like to hike a lot. Yeah. I uh, love hiking. Um, I'm actually, I follow this online program. There's a, there's this girl online on YouTube. Her name is Heather Robertson. I've been following, she puts out these monthly programs and I think they're fantastic. So I, I follow her on YouTube and uh, she has these workouts that I just every day log on and, and uh, she's doing her thing and I just follow her. That's great. cool. So yeah. when you do work out other than that, is it like a home gym kind of, crank the tunes thing or is it a go to the gym i struggle getting out of the house going anywhere anymore i just want to do it at home and uh crank some tunes and not worry about anybody else well you know uh pre-covid i was i was big on going to the gym and we had a great gym in calgary that i would go to and uh, i would sign up do a lot of a lot of classes 
you know, I tried to do like a spin class once a week and then, uh, yep. two other, at least two other classes a week that were kind of a full body workout, you know, with little sprints in there and lightweights and then, and then just lift a little heavier on those other days. But, you know, mm. since COVID, I've been a home gym guy. I've been a yep. home gym guy and just you set of dumbbells at home and just, just crank it through workouts that way. Love it. Love it. Well, listen, Brendan, I really want to thank you for all the joy you've given hockey fans, uh, throughout North America, specifically, you know, eight years, eight amazing years as a member of the West coast express with, uh, Naslin Bertuzzi, you know, um, and then also you were obviously with the devils, the ducks, the stars, the caps, the flames, the Hawks, and now real West coast, you're doing everything with a lot of passion and um, we're going to always excited to wait and see what you're doing next and to follow along this season of, uh, of the show. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. And, and have, have a great season on and off the water. Well, I appreciate it, Mark. Yeah, it was a good chat. It's always, uh, it's always fun to reminisce um, about the hockey career and, and, and relive some, some stories and memories. And it's, I always enjoy talking fishing. It's uh, a huge part of my life now and I'm very passionate about it and, it's always nice to speak to like-minded people, so I appreciate you having me on. You've been listening to a chat tonight with Brendan Morrison, 15-year NHL veteran and avid, avid fisherman, uh, has host of the uh, Real West Coast Fishing Show. Check him out uh, on a TV station near you or on YouTube and look him up on social media. Thanks, folks, for joining us this time around. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait for it films featuring fly fishing videos and camera-related content, custom music from Damian Anderson, and by brokentippet.com.